me congratulate 2021 graduates. I see some proud parents out there. It's been an unprecedented uh, last two years, um, uniquely so for high school students. And so uh, we just want you to know, graduates, that we are super proud of you. We are here for you. We want to support you. We want to do that in two specific ways. Number one, we have what's called Senior Sundays. This is an event at Jake and Janine's house. Jake is our student ministry associate. They basically kind of gather together and they talk about what's next after high school and they, and they eat cookies and drink milk. That's really all they do. So it's a great event. want to make sure all graduated high school students, graduating high school students know that they are Welcome to go to that. The second way is um, adopt a grad. This is a way for us as a church home to make sure that our um, college students know that we haven't forgotten them. It's really nice as a college student when you're missing home a little bit, you're in your dorm, and you receive a package that has some goodies in it, but it's just kind of like a way of saying, hey, we haven't forgotten you. We love you. We care about you. We're still here for you. We can't wait for you to come back home. And so that's a way for us as the church family to get involved, but also for you um, high school graduates to make sure that you are plugged into that. And all that information is on our website. You can find it there. So we want you to know that we, we are here for you, and we're just so super proud of you. I want to take some time before we um, dive in today to just pray for our graduates. So if you will, pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we acknowledge you as our overcomer. And Father, we know that there are um, parents in the room who are overcoming some fear, maybe some, some stress, and just some worry of sending their kid off to college. So we pray that you would be there with them through that. Father, we pray for these students who are feeling excitement and joy, but at the same time, some, some anxiousness about the future. So we, we know that you can overcome all these things, and we know that you have great things prepared and planned for these students. God, we ask that you would bless them and keep them. Father, we ask that you um, would make your face shine upon them and that you would be gracious to them. We ask that you would turn toward them and give them peace and that they would find and see your favor God, we ask that, um, Father, we, we know that you're with them. We acknowledge your, your presence. Even when they're not around us, you, you are going to be with them. And we pray that you would help um, them to just be aware that you are for them. Father, we, we love you, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So my name is Jimmy. I'm one of the student pastors here on staff. And to those of us in the room and those of you online, welcome to the final week of the Family Matters series. Uh, currently, we are talking about Generations Matter today. And we have some stuff on our app for you. You'll want to download that. You can find out that information here um, out on your store. You can just search Venture Carmel or you can text Venture App to 77977. There's some rich information on there. You're going to want to make sure you have that. So go download the app because there's just some good stuff on there for us today. We've been um, talking about matters of the family again because families matter. This made me start thinking about my generation and my family. I want to share some pictures with you here as we talk about generations matter today. This is my Brewer grandparents, and this is my Scott grandparents over here. I was visiting my grandma Scott a couple years ago, walked into her house on her coffee table, laid open as her Bible, and it is highlighted, underlined, notes in the margin. Like you could tell that she was a 
woman of the word, and what a great example to me, what a reminder to me of, man, this is, this is a great lineage that my grandparents are leaving for me. She even uh, wanted to, like, preach to me a sermon of what she was studying that day. So I took a picture of her explaining to me what she was preaching that day. And uh, this is a picture of me and Grandma Scott the day that I was visiting her. Um, This is a picture of my Grandpa Brewer's baptism certificate. This says it's... um, it's uh, the 24th day of April, 1949. Mishawaka, Indiana, Ira Cochran was a senior pastor. What a great thing. Somehow I received this. When Grandpa passed away, this was a thing that was left down to me. It's in my office. It's in a frame. Man, what a great possession this is. It's a great reminder of the heritage and the generations that came before me. This is a picture of my family. This is my wife, Shelly, and I on our wedding day. This is a picture of us and our family. This past November, we were getting our Christmas tree. My daughter, Rowan, just came home from college this year. She just finished her freshman year at Ozark Christian College. She's studying to be a worship pastor. My son, Karsten, he's a freshman at Noblesville. Generations, they matter. Do you ever think about the next generation? Do you pause to consider what the future is going to look like for them? What life is going to look like? What the church is going to look like for them? It's not really all that far off for the generation of today. I want you to think about for a moment the year uh, 2050. The year 2050. I'm going to be, uh, that's in 29 years, okay, the year 2050, it's in 29 years. I'm going to be 73 years old. Boomers are most likely going to be gone. I'm sorry, boomers are most likely going to be gone. Gen X, they're going to be 67 to 85 and probably retired. Millennials are going to be 49 to 66, probably retiring. Gen Z, they're going to be 35 to 48, entering their 50s. You know, thinking about these generations, it made me start thinking about adults who are in our church right now today, who when I came here, they were just kids. I started to think about John Mark Harless, who's a pastor, John Patton, who's a missionary now, Brittany Bremer, she was on stage leading us in worship today, Josh and Allison Nichols, who are small group leaders, Jake Smith is on our staff as a student ministry associate, Glenn Johnson is my son's small group leader, Spencer Redman, he's working at Mephibosheth Ministries, and his wife, uh, Shaylee, is one of our um, admins here at the church, Hunter Redman, Randy Kidman, Rowan Scott, they're attending Bible college to do vocational ministry. I think of Braden Gilpin, who's a student pastor, Sam Carnes is a coach and teacher at a Christian school, Anna Brown as a small group leader for seventh grade girls. Now you may not know all these names of these kingdom workers and there's many more that I could probably list. But together, we as Venture have had the opportunity to partner with parents and have an influence on their generation and really it's it's your investment. It's your service. It's your ministry that really makes all that possible. Now you may not be working directly with um, the student ministry but you have an impact on them. And we just thank you so much for partnering with us to make ministry to students possible here. I'm teaching uh, the fifth and sixth graders this month. Every month of May, I always teach them. I'm taking a break from them to kind of hang out with you guys today. And usually when I do that, I pull some older high school students, some older junior high students, and I bring them into the fifth and sixth grade room with me. 
And I, and I ask them to kind of like facilitate conversation. So we'll do some teaching, and then they will kind of facilitate and, and, and guide the, the conversation after the teaching. And it's just so awesome to see our students in, investing in that because they care about their next generation. You saw Zach Mukes, who's on stage up here. He's a high school student serving. You probably saw Sp uh, uh, Spencer Damude. He's been walking around with a camera up here. They're giving back to their next generation. They're giving back to us. See, millennials and Gen Z, they're really not the future leaders of the church. They're, they're leading in various ways even now today. I want you to take some time right now. On the app, you can do this, or you can pull out a piece of paper. Maybe you can just, just think about it. But I want you to identify a name. Identify a name of someone young that you can just consider today. It could be a team of people. It could be all of your grandkids. It could be your niece, your nephew a son or a daughter, write a name down. Type a name into your phone. Make it a little bit more real by like writing it down. Here's what I want to consider. I want to consider how today's content could take deep roots in ourself, but also how um, it could be helpful in our influence with the person that you wrote down today. And just writing it down, I feel like, is going to make it so much real for us today. So as we begin, I want to consider and I want to look at the generations because um, every generation, they go through these experiences, they go through um, events, and there's different trends that kind of make up their, their ethos or make up who they are. And so I want to start with the elders generation. They're sometimes known as the silent or the traditionalist. They're 75 years old and older. Uh, they experienced the Great Depression, World War II. They had a phrase that kind of represented who they were, and that phrase was, um, children are to be seen and not heard. Boomers experienced post-World War II prosperity, rise of the consumer economy, the sexual revolution, the Vietnam War, the civil rights movement. Gen X experienced the Challenger disaster, the end of the Cold War, the no-fault divorce, the personal computer. Millennials experienced the 9-11 attacks, war on terror, internet, video gaming, mobile technology, globalization and diversity, consumer mindset of their boomer parents. And then we come to Gen Z. And the oldest members of Gen Z right now, they're really uh, uh, probably at the front door of adulthood. And so we want to spend some extra time today looking at Gen Z. And we're going to do that by um, walking through an equation to kind of be a roadmap for our thoughts. And so let's consider what is real in the Gen Z world. Barna Group is a research firm that conducted uh, probably one of the most intensive looks at Gen Z, and they've identified four trends that create uh, Gen Z's ethos or Gen Z's worldview. We want to look at these. They're screenagers, extremely diverse, they're career-driven, and their context is post-Christian and global. And so what I want to do is let's just dive into some of the findings that explain this a little bit. Here's the first one. Before we show this next slide, I want you to think about the best human inventions. The best human inventions. All these invention, inventions, they are, they're in our pockets. They're in our pockets. Now, depending on your generation, that is, might be on your belt clip or might be in your front pocket or your back pocket. And usually where it is depends on the generation that you might be in. That's not true for everybody, but sometimes. So phone time. I want you to think about this. Gen Z, uh, Bonner's saying that they're using their phone about five hours a day. They're bringing out new research that are, they're saying Gen Z is on their phone eight hours a day. That's a full-time job. Look at this next one. 
Technology and happiness. 39% of Gen Z said that looking at other people's posts often make me feel bad about the lack of excitement in my own life. Different is expected. 39% regularly interact with people who are different from themselves. Thinking about career-driven and Gen Z, their future goal, 66% of them said that they want to finish their education and start a career. When they're thinking about identity today, 43% of them said their profession and their educational achievements make up their identity today. 43% said that. When they said, my blank is very important to my sense of self, I want you to take note where religion and religious beliefs land. And we've already talked about how professionalism and educational achievement is at the top. But right here, religious beliefs, 34% of Gen Z said that. Their identity, 43% say that professional education achievement is important to their sense of self. 34% said family or religion is important to their sense of self. 33% said um, that gender is how a person feels, not their birth sex. 29% said that they know someone who changed their gender identity. When they said, I want to be blank before the age of 30, I want you to notice here where become more maturely spiritual, only 16% of Gen Z said that they want to be spiritually mature before the age of 30. It gives us a little bit of the work of the church ahead of us. 51% said that happiness is their ultimate goal in life. And so when Barna showed some images to Gen Z, they showed him all these images and uh, 43% said that this image is what happiness looks like. Someone holding cash. The next one is about post-Christian. You can see the trends here of how evangelicals, born-agains, and all other Christians, like the, the trends are moving down but if you look here at the atheistic and the Gnostics and nuns, the, the trends are moving up. Our students are living in a post-Christian world. 34% said that religious affiliation is atheistic, agnostic, or none, and only 4% have a biblical world view. When we look at faith and science, Gen Z, 24% said that they consider themselves to be on the side of science. said that they consider themselves to be on the side of the Bible. Let's look at this where young gen, uh, they doubt the Bible's impact. This is the effect of regular Bible reading on politicians. This is the percent um, that said yes among U.S. 18 and older who said politics would be more civil. Only 31% believed that. Politicians would be more effective. Only 34% said that. But look at the generations previous to that, how they said that the Bible would have a huge impact on politicians. The Bible is finding itself to be less and less relevant to Gen Z. This is a snapshot of the Bible in America. The Bible contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful life. And this is the percent who agree strongly among U.S. teens and 13 13 and older. Only 41% of all U.S. think that they strongly agree that the Bible has everything that they need to live a meaningful life. 
This is their beliefs. Gen Z said, um, 60% said, Jesus was a real person who was crucified by Rome and was actually raised from the dead. Uh, 42% of Gen Z said that the Bible is totally accurate and all the principles it teaches. Only 42% believe that. Morality. What is morally right and wrong changes over time based on, on society. 24% of Gen Z said they believe that. Thinking about morality, they said what is morally right and wrong depends on what an individual believes. It's, it's on what they believe. 21% of Gen Z believe that. 34%, only one-third of Gen Z say that lying is morally wrong. Look at the next one. So realism plus hope. Uh, Barna did this research. Most of you probably heard about it in 2011. And they revealed that the church probably had, not probably, they, they, they did, we do have a dropout problem. 59% of young adults who were 18 and 29-year-olds with a Christian background said that they had dropped out of church. But today, just a decade after that research, Barna is saying that nearly two-thirds of young adults who were once previously engaged in church have dropped out. And they're saying that it's, this is 64% now. See, we all have stories of someone who have drifted, become disillusioned, or walk away from the faith. And one heartbreaking story is enough to move the church to action. And this is the reality that Gen Z is living in right now. I wonder, are young people prepared for this? Are we prepared to help Gen Z navigate this world? Sometimes when we start to look at statistics like this and we look at what is real in the world around us for Gen Z, it can be distressing, but we really, we have to go there because the, the realism of what's going on for Gen Z, it helps us to begin to frame up the opportunity of our influence. We have to know what's going on and what's real in the world so we kind of understand what, what the opportunity, what the opportunity, what the, the, the influence factor is out there. But young people, we know that um, they're often misunderstood. And it can be tempting to only look at statistics like this and only think about all the negative things. But there are some positive trends as well. It's not all negative. There's some positive things that we can look at. Oftentimes what we choose to focus on, it can make all the difference. Um, millennials and Gen Z, um, I, I want to remind us about something. M millennials and Gen Z, they're not going to ruin the church. And they're not going to ruin the world. Oftentimes we find ourselves thinking that and believing that, but I want to remind us, they're not going to ruin the church. They're not going to ruin the world. This is what Barna is finding out as they do their research, that they're saying there's 10% or 4 million 18 to 29-year-olds who are following Jesus and who are resilient in their faith. This is hope. Barna said that there's a key to that hope, that there's these 4 million resilient, faithful followers of Jesus, and the key to that hope is a critical question. And it's... Um, it's a question that must be answered. It's, it's such an important question. It should be on all of our hearts and all of our minds. We should all want to answer this question. Here's something I want us to, to think about. The first time we see Jesus um, as an adult, he's at the Jordan uh, River, and he's being baptized by John the Baptist. After his baptism, he goes into the wilderness, and he's uh, praying and fasting with the Father there in, in the wilderness. And then he comes back to where John the Baptist is, and John the Baptist sees Jesus, 
And it says, look, there's the Lamb of God. Two of John's disciples see Jesus, they hear John, they, they go and they start to follow Jesus. And Jesus kind of turns around and he sees them like, hey, what do you guys want? Or some uh, translations say, hey, what are you seeking? And they respond to him, where are you staying? Jesus says, hey, why don't you come and see? They go and spend some time with Jesus. And then after that experience is over, Andrew goes and finds his brother, Simon, and he says, we found the Messiah. I want you guys to check this out here. Um, this is in uh, John chapter 4. I, I want to read this story to you. It says, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned to them, following, and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Some translations say, good teacher. What are you, where, where are you staying, they asked him. And they said to him, come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying. They stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus took him and said, um, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. What's really awesome about this story is these disciples go from, hey, good teacher, to Messiah. In this story, we learn the very first question that Jesus ever asked his disciples. He said, what do you want or what are you seeking? This is a question of motivation. I call it the zeteo question. This um, word zeteo, it's Greek for um, like to seek in order to find or to strive after or to aim at. And essentially what Jesus was asking is he was saying, what is the central aim and motivation of your life? How would we answer that if we came up to Jesus and said, hey, hey, good teacher? And he would have turned around and say, what is the central aim and motivation of your life? The implied answer is, it is to embody the way of Jesus. It is to live like Jesus. It is to take on his rhythm, his pattern, the way that he lived his life. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, uh, especially in the message version, I love this translation. It says that we're supposed to take a good, hard look at Jesus because he is the centerpiece of everything. And so if, if we're supposed to take a good, hard look at Jesus because he's the centerpiece of everything, what is it about Jesus that we're supposed to take a good, hard look at? I want to suggest two specific things that we could be taking a good, hard look at when we think about Jesus. I want us to consider Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, which reminds us that we have the ability to take on the mind of Christ. And we just have to take Scripture at its word, and it tells us that we have the ability to think like Jesus. We can do that. And secondly, I want to uh, suggest that we can be walking like Jesus. In 1 John 2, 6, we are reminded that we have the ability to do what Jesus was doing to live like him, to walk like him, to follow in his pattern and in his rhythms. And so when I think about Jesus and I take a good hard look at him, I want to take a good hard look at what was Jesus thinking? What was Jesus doing? Our hope, our hope is always Jesus. But how do we summarize Jesus? How do we understand what was sustaining him, what motivated him, what he was thinking and doing? Um, in John chapter 4, we're, we see this story where Jesus is um, traveling through Samaria. He comes up on a well, and um, 
he sends his disciples into town because he's thirsty, he's hungry, he's tired from the journey. And then a woman comes to the well to draw some water. Jesus has a rich experience with her, reveals that he's the Messiah to her. The disciples are coming back with the food, and they're like, hey, Jesus, we, we have food for you. And he's like, hey, I'm not hungry anymore. And the disciples are like, what's going on? Like, who, who gave you some food? Let, let's look at this. It says in John chapter 4, verse 32 through 34, it says, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Like, why is he not hungry? He sent us to town to get food. And Jesus said to them, my food, what sustains me? What gives me strength? What gives me sustenance for life is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What's really interesting about this is this is about a year and a half into the life of Jesus with his disciples as he's journeying with them. At the end of Jesus' life, right before he ascended into heaven, he has another conversation with Simon, and he references food. Listen to this. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Now, Simon could have been thinking, oh, Jesus, I didn't know you had a flock of lambs. Where are those? We, we've never seen those. Simon could have been thinking, Jesus, you know that I'm a fisherman. I'm not a shepherd. Like, I, I know how to fish. I don't know how to herd sheep. Simon Peter knew exactly what he meant by feed my lambs. His mind went back to John chapter 4 in Samaria when Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to accomplish his work. And in the ebb and flows of life, I know that Jesus was probably telling them, hey, my food is to do the will and the work of the Father, and that's, your, that's what you should be doing too. You should be doing the will and the work of the Father too. And so when he said, feed my lambs, he knew exactly what he was supposed to feed them. He was supposed to feed them the will and the work of the Father. Um, I, I have conviction about this, and, and, I, and I believe I can defend uh, that the summary of Jesus and the will and the work of the Father refers to the great commandment and the great commission. I believe that the great commandment is the will of the Father for Jesus and us. The great commandment is found in uh, Matthew chapter 22 and simplified it's to love God and to love people. The great commission is the work of the Father for Jesus and us. It's found in Matthew chapter 28 and simplified it's to make disciples. This was the summary of Jesus' life. The four million resilient faithful followers that Barna was researching they were finding out that the, one of the main things that developed a resilient faith in them is that they were living this out. They were making Jesus kind of like the, the model of their life. They were living out the great commandment and the great commission. I still believe that Jesus is lighting a fire in the hearts of young people. I believe that Jesus is risen. And I believe that Christianity is true. And I believe that our living hope in Jesus dispels all cultural circumstances that we could ever find. It's almost like sometimes culture is this huge cloud that is preventing us from seeing clearly how to minister to a generation or how to impact or influence a generation. And we need something to kind of clear the cloud a little bit so that we can see some blue skies on how do we impact Gen Z for Christ. 
And I believe it's always Jesus is the first go-to answer. It's what Barna is finding out is the top reason for resilient, faithful followers of Jesus that they're focusing their life on Jesus. This is the hope for the future of the church. We have an anchor passage for today. It's out of Psalm 78. This kind of helps us to kind of anchor a lot of the thoughts that we're thinking about today. Listen to this. It says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them. And the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his glorious commands. We've looked at realism plus hope. How clear-eyed can we be in our realism? This is cultivating cultural discernment. We have to cultivate cultural discernment. And how do we have um, courageous and, and, and how do we get bound to hope? You see, we have to balance realism and we have to balance hope. We have to face reality and we have to find hope. So now we need to look at resilience. What does resilience look like? How do we engage Gen Z and help prepare them to follow Jesus? How do we help propel this generation to be uh, on the spiritual journey toward resilient faithfulness? We provided some resources for you. Um, you can find it here on our website, forward slash family resources. There's a lot of rich things there that will be very helpful to you. We're going to talk about three of them right here. Number one is resilience is found in what's real. We want you to have conversations, uh, conversations about what is real in culture. So there's some uh, conversation cards that Barna gave to us and we want to resource you with them. And we feel like these are conversations that you can uh, use in the car on a long journey on a summer vacation, at the dinner table, at bed at night, on the couch when you're just hanging out. Use these cards to prompt conversation. Depending on how old your uh, student is, you can tweak those conversations to be age appropriate. But we need to start having conversations about what is real in culture. Number two, resilience is found in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was um, just baptized by uh, John the Baptist, and he is um, thrusted into the wilderness. And what's really interesting is how Scripture de describes how he went into the wilderness. Listen to this. In Luke 4, 1, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, you have the wilderness experience as Jesus is coming out of the wilderness experience. This is what Scripture describes for us. In Luke 4, 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever happened in that wilderness experience, Jesus went in full and he came out in the power. How do we tap into that power of the Holy Spirit? How did Jesus live in the power of the Holy Spirit? I believe when you begin to look at the life of Christ and you begin to study him, you begin to see rhythms and patterns and these, like, these, these things begin to kind of pop out of the pages of Scripture and they begin to kind of formulate these buckets of like character traits and like this is, 
This is how Jesus lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what some of those are. Jesus was prayerfully guided. He was obedient living. He was word-centered. He was exalting the Father. And he was relationally intentional. This is how Jesus was living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all these examples are so scripture-centric. Um, they're, they're all describing moments in Jesus' life. Allowing Jesus to be the model of our life, he, he begins to transform us into his likeness. For students, we provide an experience that walks them through this whole acronym. We really want to help students kind of take on the model of Jesus and what that looks like in their life. We do this in September, and we want students to kind of understand what this means and what this looks like in, in the Monday through the, through the Saturdays, not just on Sundays. You can register for this on that uh, family uh, resource link. It's right there. Parents, you can register for that. It doesn't mean that you're like, hey, we're doing this. It's just, hey, we're interested. We would love for your students to participate in this. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus took on the cross for us. When you got here uh, today, you had a communion kit on your chair. Why don't you just grab that and put that in your hand? I want us to begin to kind of transition a little bit and begin thinking about the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus on the cross. I want you to continue to hold that communion in your hand and um, I want us to think about the gospel. Let's think about the good news of Jesus. Let's think about the life of Christ. See, God created us to be in relationship with him, but it's our sin that separates us from Jesus. And sin cannot be repaid by any good deed that you or I will ever be able to do. But everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, not only as Savior, but also as Lord, and follows him in obedience to baptism, will live life eternally with the Father and with Jesus. And life eternally, it starts now, and it lasts forever. It's not something in the future. And I just want you to hold on to that communion. Let's just kind of consider that as we walk into our next point. You see, um, when Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist, if you remember that story, the heavens opened up and the Father identifies Jesus. He says, this is my Son and whom I am well pleased. Immediately after that baptism experience, after, Jesus, after God identified his Son, Jesus goes into the wilderness. While he was in the wilderness, he was being tempted by Satan. What was Satan tempting him with? Many things, but one of those, he kept on saying this phrase, if... You are the son of God. He was challenging his identity. Satan wants to challenge our identity. He wants to steal our identity in Christ from us. He doesn't want Gen Z to see themselves for who they are in Christ. Listen to our third point about, um, about resilience. It's found in our identity. Here are some cultural words that are being internalized by young people. Listen to them. Less than unpopular, uninvited, inadequate, unlovable, ashamed, broken, victim, hopeless, alone, unseen. These are words that are being internalized by young people. These are words that culture is trying to press on to Jesus. 
Now imagine instead if we were rooted in and if we lived out a gospel-centered identity. What if we had some words to rewash over students, to change their identity, to remind them of who they are in Christ? What would those be, words be? How could we reprogram students' thoughts about who they are? Listen to what some of these phrases would be. Because I am made in the image of God, I am valuable and worthy of dignity and respect because I am forgiven in Christ. I am no longer a slave to guilt and shame because I am adopted into God's forever family. I now have a place to belong because I have been justified and redeemed in Christ. I don't have to earn God's love because I am perfectly loved in Christ. I don't have to look to the approval of others to find significance because I am a child of God and a fellow heir with Christ. My future is secure. Because I'm God's workmanship, my purpose is to walk and the good works prepared for me. This communion that we're holding in our hands, it gives us the opportunity to remind ourselves that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can live in a, in a new identity. Pull that tab off the top. I want us to remember together the broken body of Jesus on the cross. He willingly, out of a motive of love, went to the cross for us. Let's go ahead and together take that styrofoam bread. And let's just remember Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. How his act on the cross gives us the ability to have the Holy Spirit power living in us. Gives us a new identity. second tab off and as you're drinking this juice remind yourself that this wasn't spilled blood but this was a pouring out of blood willingly out of love for you so that you could have the power of the Holy Spirit so you could discern culture As we close today, I want to kind of wrap our thoughts up with this. And that is um, changes to culture aren't changes to the essence of what it means to be human. Every generation goes through uh, pretty much some very similar challenges and things. But it would be very foolish for us in here today to think that the generation today is immune to its surrounding culture and challenges with the pace of culture change, it can often feel overwhelming. But church, let's not be discouraged. The gates of hell, it cannot, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. We need to watch our thoughts because that truth that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, it's for God's people. And God's people include Gen Z. As challenging as it is to understand their reality, there is hope. And when we center on hope, we find resilience. Let's go back to that 
name that you wrote down or you typed in or that you've been kind of thinking about. We're gonna sing a song here in a minute. It's called The Blessing. And really it's just like, it's, it's a benediction. It's a praying over. And what we want you to do is we want you to allow the lyrics of this song to prompt us and to formulate a prayer for this generation. Maybe you're, maybe you're sitting by a young person. Maybe you want to go sit by someone that you know is young that you have a relationship with here. And just squeezing their hand during the song communicates I'm singing this over you to the Father. I'm using the lyrics of this song as a prayer for you. Maybe you want to pull your phone out, text a niece, text a nephew, text someone young, and allow the words on the screen to formulate your prayer, to formulate your, your thoughts, to allow the Holy Spirit power to work through you to invest and influence someone. How awesome would it be for the person on the other end of that squeezed hand to be like, oh, they're praying that over me. Oh, that text, they're thinking of me. The dominant thought for the day is this. Realism plus hope equals resilience. Today at the lunch table, talk about what is real in the world right now. What are the challenges? Talk about hope. Talk about Jesus and how he helps us through that. Talk about how, how can we be resilient. Allow these words to formulate our prayer. Will you stand with us as we sing?